You're listening to Summit Podcasts, where you'll find sermon audio, weekly discussions of the message, the Back 40 Leadership Podcast, and much, much more. Subscribe today at summitpodcast.church and share this episode with your friends. Summit Church, every life made different. But this weekend, we're kind of wrapping up some ideas with this series that we're in called It's a Wonderful Life. And throughout the series, what we've done is we've looked at uh, the idea of what does it mean, what, what constitutes a wonderful life. And the world would define it one way and our, our, our kingdom, the kingdom of heaven would define it differently than the world would. And so we've just kind of tried to parse through what does this look like for us? Um, and so in week one, we talked about the idea that I wanna be in love, that we all wanna be loved and we are looking for love. And what does that look like? And then last week we talked about the idea that I wanna be rich. And a lot of us feel like if, if we just won the, the billion dollar Powerball, our lives would be simpler and easier and better. Um, and we think that riches are what will make our lives better or wonderful. And then today we're gonna talk about another one of these ideas. And you might be able to guess what it is, but uh, it's, I, I wanna be famous. And fame is something, it's amazing. In the world we live in today, uh, generationally, it's different than it ever has been. In fact, what we see is uh, fame has become a more important thing as more generations pass. So if we look at what's been labeled the greatest generation, they would have cared very little about fame. This was the generation that enlisted to fight the Nazis in World War II or go to Japan and, and, and fight the Japanese in the, in the Pacific, uh, that they signed up and went to war and Ever since that generation, progressively, we have grown more and more hungry for fame. And statistically, about 40% of people that identify as uh, millennial or as Generation Z, so the generations that follow my generation, millennials and Z, so generally speaking, that's people from, let's just say, teenagers up to about age 40, they would, about 40% of them would say, that they wanna be famous. Now, the question was asked, what do you want to do with your life? And the answer was, for 40% of them, I don't really care, I just wanna be famous. So think about it this way. If you ever ask a child, what do you wanna be when you grow up? If they, instead of saying fighter, a firefighter, or a pilot, or a teacher, or a lawyer, or a doctor, they said famous. I don't care what the pathway is, I just wanna be famous. And that's a little alarming to me. But then there was a number that was very alarming to me. About half of that 40% said that they would be willing to sacrifice relationship with their family in order to be famous. Now, some of you are thinking, I'm facing Christmas and there's some people in my family I would not mind sacrificing relationship with, right? But you're like, eh, I could do without them for some, I would be all right with that. That's nothing wrong. But what we've done is we've made... Um, fame and idol in many of our lives. That we think fame is the answer, that fame will solve the problems we've got. If I was just famous, then um, I, I wouldn't lack anything. I would have power and authority and money and all these things that I need, that I want, that would make my life better. I would have it. I would be famous. It'd solve my problems. It'd give me the things I want. Only about point, and this is a literal number that a statistician tried to figure out, what's the percentage of people in the world that are famous? And he had a number of criteria, uh, and he, he went about it this way. He said, um, they've gotta have a Wikipedia page that has so many edits. They've gotta have, um, they've gotta have, when you do a Google search, for their name and their vocation, it has to have so many results in the results page or they're not famous. I mean, he went through all these things and what he decided was 0.000086% of the world's population is famous. Those are some long odds on fame. But we think it's the answer. We think it'll help us. And what we don't realize is this, that getting noticed by people does not necessarily mean that we will be loved or understood by them. 
And one of the things you see is that if you're famous, every one of your greatest fears and insecurities and worries are gonna be broadcast to you regularly by people who don't like you. And there are levels of fame. Uh, There are people that are famous like Taylor Swift, who was Time's person of the year this year, by the way. And if you don't know who Taylor Swift is, that actually makes me happy because that restores my hope in humanity just a little bit. But there's people like Taylor Swift who have millions of followers who sell out huge concert venues. People will clamor and fight and do whatever they can just to see her in concert. Uh, They will go to her movie and sell out the movie theater and dance and make fools of themselves in the theater. They don't care because they love them some Taylor Swift and she is famous. But then you've got famous uh, levels of fame that are a little different like, um, well, I'll just say it this way. I don't claim to be famous, but if you hang out with me in Indiana, Pennsylvania, you would think that I'm the mayor of the town, apparently, because I know a lot of people in our community. And it's not a bad thing, but it's not always a great thing either. But here's the thing, no matter how famous someone is or is not, whatever level that is, uh, there are circles in which they're not famous. So when I said Taylor Swift, some of you had no clue who, who Taylor Swift is, right? And the first thing you thought is, I don't even know who that guy is, who's Taylor Swift? And if I go to Johnstown, Pennsylvania, and go hang out with Ricky, there are people who have no clue who I am, but they think Ricky Ingram is the pastor of Summit Church, which is fine with me. That's cool. But they've got no clue about who I am because you remove that person from their circle. And, and so the reality is fame is, it's fleeting. It's something that we pursue, but it's not even real. And it's something that once you have it or, or get it, it's not all it's cracked up to be. Uh, I've seen some interviews with Jim Carrey and some of the interviews that he shared, you can tell he's grown a disdain for the fame that he has because it hasn't solved the problems he thought it was gonna solve. It hasn't fixed the situations or the issues because they're still there. So over the last few weeks, we've talked about some fundamental questions that have kind of birthed out of our souls. And two weeks ago, the question is, do you love me? That our soul calls out this question, do you love me? Last week, the question was, who's gonna take care of me? And I think there's a question when it comes to fame that that is fundamentally at our core, that our soul cries out and asks this question, do you see me? Because we all wanna be special. We all wanna be seen. We all want someone to say you're important and you're valuable. And when I think of the question, do you see me? I, I think back to my childhood when I was doing something and I would holler and go, hey dad, do you see me? Dad, do you see what I'm doing? And the reason I would say that is because I was looking for some affirmation. I wanted my father to say, oh my gosh, son, good job. I'm so proud of you. I think back to when my girls were little and they would ask this question, dad, do you see me? Oh my gosh, you are doing so good. I can't believe you're doing so, I'm so proud of you. That's what they were after. And notice we don't say it when we're doing something wrong, right? (laughs) Dad, you gotta check this out. I'm messing up your, your favorite guitar. Dad, I'm taking apart your Jeep. I want to come see that. That's exciting. Ooh, no, no, cut that. It's fine. Like, no, thank you. It's only when we're doing good stuff. When we're doing good things, we say, Dad, can come see me. Mom, you need to see this. And, oh my gosh, why? Because there's this longing in us for somebody to say, "You're, you're doing great. I'm so proud of you. Well done. That's what we're after. And the problem is when we don't hear it from the right places, we will seek it anywhere we can find it and we end up finding it in the wrong places. This is one of the reasons why social media is so destructive because it is a place for people who desperately long to be seen, to be seen, and they are seen for all the wrong reasons. 
their, their unhealthiness, their toxicity, and all these things are on display for the world to see. I didn't get affirmation. I was not ever seen or known. And so now somebody's going to see me and somebody's going to know me. And they're not going to know the real me and they're not going to see the real me, but somebody's going to say, I'm proud of you or I like what you are offering. And it's dangerous. The reality is the temptations we have as humans are not unique to us. Jesus faced these same temptations when he came to earth. In fact, in Matthew chapter four, before he begins his public ministry, he goes to the wilderness and it says in Matthew 4, 1, then Jesus was led by the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted there by the devil for 40 days and 40 nights. He fasted and became very hungry. During that time, the devil came to him and said, if you are the son of God, tell these stones to become loaves of bread. But Jesus said, no, scriptures say people do not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Fasted 40 days and 40 nights. He was hungry. Have you ever skipped lunch before? And then you destroy dinner because you're like, I'm starving. Can you imagine 40 days and 40 nights of no food? You'd probably be hungry. And Satan comes to him and tempts him and just says, hey, you deserve it. Man, you've been doing good. You deserve it. Just, just no, nobody's gonna know. You just, some bread. And Jesus says, man shall not live by bread alone. He quotes the book of Deuteronomy and he says, hey, it's written. The Bible says man shall not live by bread alone. And, and that statement begs the question, I wonder if Jesus ever had bread from Texas Roadhouse before. Because, you know, he puts the like cinnamon butter on there and he'd be like, but you know, right? So what does Jesus do? He's faced with temptation. And he doesn't say, leave me alone or I'm just gonna try harder. He quotes scripture. And this is what pushes back or abates the attack of the enemy. He quotes scripture to him. I'll come back to that thought in a moment. Verse five. Then the devil took him to the holy city, Jerusalem, to the highest point of the temple and said, if you are the son of God, jump off. The scripture says he will order his angels to protect you and they will hold you up with their hands so you don't even hurt your foot on a stone. Jesus responded. The scripture also say, you must not test the Lord your God. A couple of things we see. The first thing is this. When Satan comes to Jesus, he's questioning his identity. Are you really the son of God? If you are, prove it. Prove you're the son of God. This is also some of the same language we see from Pharisees with Jesus. Hey, if you really are who you say you are, prove it. And Jesus doesn't fall into that trap ever. And one of the reasons we see he doesn't fall into that trap is he's very, very secure in his identity. He, he doesn't question who he is. He knows exactly who he is and what he was called to do. So that makes it possible for him to withstand the temptation he's facing and do what God has called him to do, to live the life that God called him to live. The, the other thing we see is this. Um, I told you, you, you need to, uh, Satan was pushed back from Christ in this moment by scripture. And I'm telling you today, it's important for us to know scripture. It's valuable because it is our tool of defense and offense toward Satan. Satan's offended when we bring scripture to him. And here's the thing, did you notice this? Satan quotes Psalm 91 to Jesus. That's a bold move, isn't it? That felt a little bit like whenever I'm in a bad mood and Kim quotes one of my sermons to me. She's like, well, you know, you said, I'm like, would you shut your mouth? That ain't right, just let me be mad. <laughs> and Satan quotes scripture to Jesus, which is a bold move. And Jesus doesn't back down. He says, oh, I got a scripture for that too. Again, it's from the book of Deuteronomy. By the way, maybe Deuteronomy is worth examining for some of you. You skip over it, you know, when you're going through it because it's some hard reading. But Jesus quotes Deuteronomy again. And I'm telling you today, part of the reason why so many of us fall into temptation so easily is because we are so biblically illiterate. We have no weapon to fight the enemy when he comes to us. He tempts us and we just go, well, I don't know. We're just gonna try harder. Oh, I'm gonna, 
oh, stop, I'm just gonna be better. No, we have shown up to a gunfight with a knife. No wonder we're gonna get in trouble because we've got the wrong tool, we've got the wrong weapon. We need being the right weapon and the right weapon is the word of God in our lives. So we need to apply the word of God. We need to know the word of God. And what do we see? Jesus is told, Satan says, hey, here's what we're gonna do. Jump off this high point off this temple. And the, the implication for him is, and when you do, you're gonna be caught and the world will see that you really are the son of God. They're gonna see how special you are, how spectacular you are. That everybody will say, no, no, he's not just some teacher. He's not just some prophet. He is the son of God. The world will see it. And Jesus has this temptation in this moment because he is human to say, hey, everybody, I'm special. I'm unique. Look, look how important I am. Look how valuable I am. Because all of us, including Jesus in his humanity, was asking the question, do you see me? And Satan was saying, they will all see you. They will all see how special you are. And Jesus responds in the right way. And he goes on in verse eight, and it says, next the devil took him to the peak of a very high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said this, I will give it all to you if you'll kneel down and worship me. Verse 10 says, get out of here, Satan, Jesus told him, for scriptures say, you must worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Again, Deuteronomy chapter six. Then the devil went away and the angels came and took care of Jesus. So what is he tempted with in this moment? He's tempted with power. Hey, if, if you just worship me, I'll give you everything. And we're tempted by power. And if I could just be famous, if I could just be known and seen, I'll be looked at as strong and important and I'll have control and then my life will be okay if I'm in control. And we all want this. We all want people to think we're important. We all want people to think we're more important than we actually are. <laughs> Uh, years ago, I realize now I'm an old guy. And some of you are like, oh, no, you're a spring chicken. If you think I'm a spring chicken, then you're really old. I'm just saying. Because I'm old. The music I listened to in high school is on oldie stations now, okay? It was bad enough when it was classic rock. Now it's oldies. <laughs> so I'm going to ask a question. I want those of you in Blairsville to respond as well. How many of you remember... Life before cell phones. Okay, that means you're old, okay? Yeah, a lot of you do. Does anybody remember the bag phone? Oh yeah, the bag phone. It's a classic. Actually, we had this model. My parents owned this model of bag phone and they, they got it and then they would let me take it like at night, if I was going somewhere, I was going to see friends, I could take it with me. Now here's the thing. They had a, a plan for the phone that included 25 minutes a month. I could talk to whoever I wanted for 25 minutes with no pay, right? 25 whole minutes. But after that, it cost, I think it was $4 a minute to talk on that phone, a minute. And so my parents made it very clear to me, we're gonna give you this phone to use, but you only use it if there's an emergency. If you use it and it's not an emergency, we will kill you because it's, it's easier to replace you than it is to pay for the phone bill, okay? <laughs> so we wanna make this very clear and it was understood and I did not talk on the phone. If I had to use the phone to call my mom and dad, it would be a conversation like this. Sorry, I'm running late, I ran out of gas, but I'll be home soon, don't worry about me, I'm fine. Okay, bye, click, and that, like, that was it. So we did not wanna use up our minutes. But I was an idiot. And I wouldn't talk on the phone, but I would do something else. So I'd get out, I'd bring my bag phone, it was literally like a purse, I would put it in the truck, and, um, and I would open it up, and I would you know, pull out the cord, I would plug it in and I would raise up the mast of this thing. It was like a foot long, you know, raise it up because you had to have the antenna and I would power on the phone. And then I would go on my way. And what I would do is I would pull up 
to a stoplight. And I would pick up said phone and I would do this. And I would act like I was talking on the phone. And here's the funny part. I would actually do what I was just doing. I wouldn't actually say words. I don't know who I thought was going to hear me say the words when I was alone by myself in my truck. But somehow I thought that was believable. And I assumed that everybody who was around me in traffic would look at me and marvel at my importance. Look at that guy. He's talking on a cell phone. He probably had to take out another mortgage to pay for that. Or he's fabulously wealthy driving his old GMC pickup truck. (laughs) And this feels like a benign example, but even as a 16 or 17 year old boy driving this truck, I wanted somebody to look at me and go, He's important. He's special. And we all want somebody to look at us and say, they're special, they're important, they're valuable. I wanted people to see me and think better of me than what I am in reality because I see reality and I don't think I'm very special. So I need people, I need someone to say. And we all have this desire, we all have this agenda. In 1 John chapter 2, verse 15, John said this, do not love this world nor the things it offers. For when you love the world, you do not have the love of the Father in you. For the world offers only a craving for physical pleasure, a craving for everything we see and pride in our achievement and possessions. These are not from the Father, but are from this world. And this world's fading away along with everything that people crave. But anyone who does what pleases God will live forever. Now it doesn't say that getting the things of this world are bad. What it says is that shouldn't be our top priority. He he said, if our top priority is getting just the things of this world and I need the affirmation and I need people to see me and I just need success so it'll make me feel like enough and I need the right car and the right possessions and the right feelings and the right... He says all this stuff is temporary and we're pursuing things that are empty. And he said, you know what's eternal? You know what's permanent? The, the people who do what God is asking them to do. The people who are obedient to God will live lives that are eternal. Man, we spend so much time pursuing somebody to see us and recognize us and say, you're special, that we fail to see that if we want something that will last forever, there's only one we should get our affirmation from. So in the book of John, The Gospel of John, in chapter 12, John's describing, um, uh, he's describing kind of a season of ministry for Jesus. And he's describing some things going on. And so he starts in verse 42 and it says, at the same time, many even among the leaders believed in him, talking about Jesus. So he's talking about the religious leaders, the Jewish religious leaders, they believed in Jesus. Well, listen to this. But because of the Pharisees, they would not openly acknowledge their faith for they would be, uh, for they fear that they would be put out of the synagogue for they loved human praise more than praise from God. So I, w- I want to paint this picture for you. There were Jewish religious leaders who believed Jesus was the son of God. They believed he was the Messiah. They, they really did believe, but they would never publicly acknowledge it because they were afraid of the Pharisees. And they were afraid that they would lose their place in society because of the Pharisees. Like, man, I've got a good life. Uh, I know my role and man, this guy's awesome, but I don't wanna sacrifice what I've got. I've got a wife and kids, I've got family, I've got. And so basically what it's saying is they believe Jesus was who he said he is but they failed to acknowledge it publicly because they were afraid of the Pharisees. It says they loved human praise more than praise from God. The English Standard Version says it this way, 
for they love the glory that comes from man more than, more than the glory that comes from God. They were seeking temporary affirmation. They, they didn't want to be rejected by the, the person that gave them their affirmation and they said, you're special. Last weekend, we talked about being rich. And one of the big ideas of the weekend was this, this statement that you are a slave to your source. And so the idea was simple. It was just that if my source is my job, then I'm a slave to my job. I, I can't lose my job because that's my source of my income, my money. And if I lose my job, then my source is gone. What do I do? If my, my family is my source for income, then whatever my family tells me to do, I've got to do. If the government is my source of income, no matter what the government says to do, I've got to do it because it's my source. But if I understand that my job isn't really my source, that God is my source, my job is just happens to be the conduit by which he gives me my resources, then it changes everything. I'm a slave to God. My, my source is God. The conduit just happens to be my job. And if God moves the conduit or changes it, I'm good because my source was never my job. My source was God. Does that make sense? So think about it this way. If my affirmation comes from my job, which especially for men, it's, we're prone to do because if we perform and do well, we're going to hear people say, oh, you're special. Oh, we couldn't do this without you. We couldn't make these sales. We couldn't do. And we hear this. What happens is we become slaves to our source. And what would we do? We would start working longer hours because we like hearing this affirmation. It might be a little different for ladies. Maybe your affirmation is coming from your girlfriend's. You, you don't hear a lot from your husband and your girlfriends tell you how great you are and how awesome you are and you're not hearing it from home as much and now you become a slave to that. We become a slave to our source, no matter what it is. And it keeps us from doing the will of God when we're slaves to our source, the source of our affirmation, what makes us feel special and unique and different. There's a passage in Galatians chapter one that is kind of, I think in some ways it's my life verse. It's always been one of my favorite verses. But Paul is uh, defending the fact that there are different ministers with the Galatian church that they've kind of picked their favorite and Paul is making a defense for his case at this point. And this is what he says in Galatians 1.10. He says, for am I now seeking the approval of man or God or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. And what he's essentially saying is, hey, Galatian church, I love you, but I'm not here to win a popularity contest. I'm gonna do what God's called me to do, even if it costs me something with you. Even if you don't like it, I'm gonna do what God's called me to do. So if I can only make you happy or God happy, I'm gonna make God happy. <laughs> because... I think Paul understood this principle we're talking about. He, he was a slave to his source. And he said, I don't need you to tell me I'm doing great because I'm just doing what God's called me to do. And it gives him the freedom to be able to say, I'm okay if people are unhappy with me because God's happy with me and I'm cool with that. There's something liberating about that and having this attitude, having this point of view. And remember what he says at the last part of this verse, if I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. He says clearly, he said, I can't please both. I mean, sometimes we can, but let's be honest. Um, I said earlier, use the fame thing. Um, there, are, there are people in our community that like me. There's a whole bunch of people in our community who do not like me. And that's okay. <laughs> if I was running for public office, I would be nervous, but I'm not. I'm trying to serve God. And as long as God is happy with what I'm doing, I'm cool. I'm okay with that. Paul says, I can't do both. He says, I wouldn't be the servant of Christ. The word servant here in the Greek, it's the word doulos. And it means a slave, a bondman, a man of servile condition, attendant, a slave. The second definition there is the one I want to note. Devoted to another to the disregard of one's own interests. Paul said, 
I am a slave to Christ. And that means that I will disregard my own interests for God's interests. I will set aside what I want for what he wants. And this is so much easier to say than do. And we think this is a supernatural level of Christianity, but I I want you to hear this. This should be the standard for Christians. This should be normal behavior and activity for Christians. But yet it becomes superhuman. And, And what Paul is telling the church and what we are invited to live in is a place where we say, hey, I'm a slave to Christ. I do everything that God asked me to do. I understand that I'm a slave to my source. So yes, I'm human and I want affirmation. But at the end of the day, the one who gives me the most affirmation, where my affirmation begins is with God. And every other affirmation is dependent on that one. Because I don't care if everybody loves me, if God is unhappy with me. There's a passage in Psalm 84. The psalmist says this, and this is a passage maybe you've heard before, popular song, but he says, for a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. So so let me just unpack this verse for you. Um, So Levites were the designated people who worked within the temple. And there, there was a basic level of hierarchy for these Levites. And, and basically, the closer you were, the, the closer your job was to the Holy of Holies, the more important you were. So the further away from the Holy of Holies you were, the, the less important you were, the more menial the job was. And so from the Holy of Holies, almost literally as far as you could get away from that spot, within the temple boundaries was a doorkeeper. And a doorkeeper's general job was to open the door, right? Beginning of the day, they were open for worship. They would open the doors and people could come in. And then at the end of the day, they would close the doors. And for the most part, they would stand at their post and attend to people as they were coming in. And this was not the most exciting job or glamorous job in the world. It was not seen by many people as an important job. But what the psalmist says is, I would rather be an outsider in the kingdom of God, literally outside the temple, holding the door, the most menial job, the least glamorous job, the least special job in the kingdom of God than be an insider in the house of the wicked. And what he's saying is, in the house of the wicked, there is everything that our flesh desires and craves and wants. I would, rather, I would rather suffer in the house of God than have everything I want in the house of the wicked. He said, I'd rather be a doorkeeper. I'd rather hold doors for people in the house of God and be near his presence. That's how important his presence is to me in my life. This last week, uh, Kim and Abby and Emma and I, we went on a family date day. And as we were driving back from Greensburg, the girls, we were talking about a video that we had shared and talked about. And it was a video, I guess it's somewhat viral, but it's a video of this little boy named Milo. And Milo is, uh, he came home from, from school and he's in the car with his mom and his sister. And they had assigned parts for the nativity play at his school. And he was so excited to share his part with his family. And maybe you've seen the video, and if you haven't, I just wanna warn you, they are British, so they speak a form of English, but it's hard to understand sometimes. They don't speak real English, they don't speak American, so, uh, so it's kinda hard to understand, but I want you to lean in, I want you to listen to, the, to the, what he shares in this video. Go on. Guess what I am for the nativity? I'm a classic one. Classic role, is it? Classic part? Yeah. Um, Joseph? No. Uh, uh, one of the three wise men? No. One of the innkeepers? No. Um, Call rejected. But it's a classic part? Yeah. Okay. Um, you tell me then, because... 
I'm door holder number three. I'll be holding doors. That's amazing. Holding doors for who? Um, probably um Joseph and Mary. Oh my gosh! Were you pleased when they said that? Yeah. What and did, what did you do? And I was like. I'm a door holder. Get in there. Let's go. Yeah. Wow. And, and and maybe because there's no room, I'll probably be just low, be like just coming in, and then I'll just slam them in, slam the door in their face. <laughs> Is that your star role? Maybe I'll probably be dressed up as a door. I don't think you're going to be a door. I think you're going to be a door holder. No, I'll have to wear like brown. Really? Yeah, probably. Excellent. That's well, that's really smart, Milo. So Milo didn't fully understand the assignment. He didn't understand, like, he, he thought he might be a door. I'm going to have to dress like a door. I'm not really sure. I'm holding the door. And if, if the room fills up, I'm going to slam the door and make sure people know they cannot come in. Like, but when she, when she asked him, who are you going to hold the door for? He said, Probably Joseph and Mary. Now, here's the thing. I understand uh, some teacher probably when they were assigning parts, they got to Milo and they said, oh, Milo, oh, Milo, you've got a very important role, door holder number three. And they sold it, okay? I get it. But Milo didn't have to respond that way. And in the video, he was excited about the door he gets to hold. I've got a door. I'm door holder number three. That means there were at least two other door holders. He wasn't even door holder number one. Not only is he not on stage, not only is he not Mary or Joseph or baby Jesus or a wise man or a shepherd, he's a door holder number three. But he was pumped. Because I think he had a similar sentiment as the psalmist does. I'm just happy to be a door holder. How good it is to be a door holder. And, and here's the thing for most of us. We have this, this longing for people to see us and know us. And so what it does is it drives us to being dissatisfied with being a door holder. I can't be a door holder. I need people to see. I'm important. Don't you know I'm important? In the kingdom of heaven, I can't just do this. I can't just be a part of this. I've got to be and if I can't be special, I'm not going to do anything. And what we don't understand is anything in the kingdom of heaven is special because of its proximity to the presence of Jesus. See, Milo, this was not a deep theological discussion he had with his mom, but I think he understood his job is to hold the door to give access to people to see what's really important. And what was really important was Jesus. And here's what I want you to hear. And I'm, I don't mean this with a sense of false humility. Um, some people think I'm the star, but I want you to hear this. I'm a door holder. I hold the door so every week, hopefully, you can get a view of who Jesus is. I want to give you access to Jesus every single week. I want you to see that. I happen to be up here instead of holding a literal door, but every role is an important role in the kingdom of heaven because we get to be in proximity to Jesus. But yet, that longing in us that says, No, I'm special. No, I'm important. So how do we bridge the gap from that to being excited about being a door holder? And I think it comes back to our identity. I mentioned this at the beginning. See, Jesus had a firm grasp on his identity. And I think the reason he did, the reason he could face temptation, the reason he could live the life that he was called to live was because he had a good grasp of who he was in God. He knew who he was and he knew who he was, what he was called to do. And it starts with Matthew chapter three. Matthew chapter three, he's going to be baptized to begin his public ministry before he goes to the wilderness. And he goes to John the Baptist and he says, would you baptize me? And John says, no, I, I, I wanna be baptized by you. And Jesus says, no, this must be done. And if Jesus knew it was important to be baptized, we should be baptized. So Jesus is baptized in water. John baptizes him. And it says in Matthew three sixteen, after his baptism, as Jesus came up from the water, the heavens were opened and he saw the spirit of God descending like a dove and settling on him. Verse 17, and a voice from heaven said, this is my dearly loved son who brings me great joy. And it's so easy to overlook this verse as we're reading and it's just, okay, good. Okay, God said this, great. But I wanna take a second with this because this is the key. This is the hinge to everything else 
in my opinion, in Jesus' life. He understood who he was and what he was called to do. So what is he here in this moment? This is my beloved son. There's two things that are important to hear in this moment. Number one, God the Father was saying, I love you. Jesus knew in this moment that he was loved deeply by his heavenly father, by his father. We talked about this a couple weeks ago. It is so important for us to receive love, but to express love as well. And when we share our love and affection for others, it does something in them. And by hearing the Father say, I love you, you are loved. I think it did something in Jesus. It it, it shifted his identity. And it didn't stop there. He said, this is my beloved son. There's something powerful about a father or a mother claiming you as their own. Not just blood even, but having spiritual parents or, or family in the faith, having somebody that'll adopt you. Because when, when God said, this is my beloved son, he's saying he is loved, but he is my son, so he belongs with me. He is protected with me. He is provided for, I am, I am his father. And there are implications far beyond parentage that speak to need and desire and all these things. And he said, he's my son, he belongs with me. And then he said, with him, I am well pleased. Jesus knew he was loved. Jesus knew that he belonged. And the third thing we see is this, that Jesus was seen. The father said, with him, I'm well pleased. This is him saying, I'm so proud of him. I'm so proud of the steps he's taken. This is before Jesus had delivered one person had healed one person, had done anything for the glory of God on planet earth. This is before any of his miracles. He said, I'm proud. Now, some of you are saying, Mel, that's great. That's awesome. I'm I'm glad Jesus did that, but that's not my father. My dad, he couldn't have got through two of those three things, let alone all three of them. And, And I wanna help you with this. I don't know what your dad was like. I was very fortunate because my father was a father that would say these things to me. So I'm, I've got a leg up on a lot of people. But here's the thing. Scripture tells us that we are co-heirs with Christ, that we are seated with Christ. So what God the Father speaks to Christ, God the Father speaks to us. So when God says to Jesus, this is my beloved son who I, with whom I'm well pleased. He's saying the same thing to us. He's saying to you today, I love you so much. Some of you need to hurt, hear this because you've been hurt by church. You've been disappointed with spiritual leaders, with pastors, with small group leaders. And you're a little put off. Maybe you're here and you're trying church again. I want you to know we have a heavenly father who loves you passionately and deeply beyond what you can possibly imagine. And he says, you are my child. What he's saying is, maybe you don't fit in easily with other people, but you fit here. You belong here. You are safe here. You are protected here. You are provided for here. You are my child. And then he says, with whom I'm well pleased. And I can imagine our heavenly father looking you right in the eyes today and saying to you, I'm so proud of you. I'm so proud of you. And you could defend it and you could say, no, no, I haven't even done anything. He would say, I'm so proud of you. You are my child and I love you. I'm so proud of you. It shifted Jesus' identity. And I truly believe for us, it can shift our identity. How can we live lives that we are are free from chasing fame and glory of our own. When we understand, I don't need to be affirmed by every person in this world. I don't need to make you happy. My job is to make God happy. I've got the affirmation of my father. What do I need you to tell me I'm special? Why do I need you to tell me I'm unique? Why do I need you to tell me I'm seen? Because the God of the universe knows me and loves me and sees me. He's proud of me. (laughs) 
The buttons on God's shirt are bursting, if I can steal a phrase, over you. Who cares what anybody else thinks? Our affirmation begins with God because he sees us. He knows us. Our glory is temporary. First Peter says this. He actually quotes Isaiah 40 and he says, people are like grass. Their beauty is like the flower in the field. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And the word he uses here for beauty, it's, a, it's doxa in the Greek, and it actually means glory. So what it's saying is our physical bodies are temporary, but even our fame, our glory is temporary. But what is eternal is God and God's glory. So we get to have a decision to make. Am I going to live for my glory or am I going to live for God's glory? My glory is temporary. It'll fade easily and quickly. But God's glory is eternal. Am I looking for affirmation from people that are temporary, from places that are temporary? Or am I looking for my affirmation from the one who is eternal? I'm going to turn it over to our hosts in Blairsville. They're going to finish up our time together, give you a chance to respond. I love you guys very much. God bless you. So today, all of this really begins with being a child of God. We can't please God unless we have faith and know God, surrender our lives to him. So I wanna give you a chance today to say yes to him, to know what it's like to be affirmed by our heavenly father, for our father to look you in the eyes and say to you, you are my child, with you I'm well pleased. I want to give you a chance. So if you would, bow your head and close your eyes all this place. Let's pray together. God, we love you. We're grateful for your love for us. God, you know us and you love us. And this is a mystery and I don't understand it, but I'm so grateful for it. God, I pray that you would forgive us of the times that we are seeking our own glory that we're seeking our own fame, when we're longing for someone to see us and call us special or valuable or important. And I pray that as our hearts are searching for that affirmation, I pray that we would not settle for any knockoff, any counterfeit. But God, we would only be satisfied with, with you, with your affirmation, with your approval. God, thank you that you see us and you know us. I pray for those today that feel anonymous, that feel unseen, that don't feel valuable, that don't feel important. I pray today they would see how important they are in your kingdom, how much you, how much they mean to you, that, that you would go to great lengths to, to build a relationship with them. So God, I pray that we wouldn't take that for granted. We would see the, the value you place on us and in us. And so God, I pray you'd open up our eyes to that. I pray that we would discover our identity in you. And as we do, God, I pray that it would shift our lives. It would change everything. That we would live for your glory alone. That we would be content being a door holder, door holder number three in your temple, in your kingdom. Whatever you ask us to do, it's not too menial, it's not too small. It's not too great. We just want to serve you and know you. So God, let that be the cry of our hearts today. I pray for those that don't know you. I pray today would be the day they say yes. And as they do, I pray that they would sense a seismic shift in their own spirit and their own lives, that you would change everything for your glory. That that longing in their souls and the question, do you see me, would be answered in such a way that they would be confident of their sonship or daughtership in you. So God, have your way with us today. We submit ourselves to you. Nobody's looking around with your heads bowed, your eyes closed. If you're here today and you'd say to me, Mel, I know I'm not really serving God. I'm not walking with God. I, I, I know because I'm, I've been trying to find affirmation in every other place. I've been seeking my own glory and it's exhausting. And today I, I just wanna surrender to God. I wanna say yes to him. I, I, need, to hear, I need to hear my heavenly father affirm me today so if that's you I'd love to pray for you if you'd like to be included in that prayer 
I want you to take a step and just simply raise your hand real high where I can see it. If you'd say, Mel, include me in that prayer. I wanna surrender my life to Jesus. Thank you, I see you. Thank you so much in that center section. Yeah, thank you on my left. Yeah, I see a couple hands over here. Thank you up in the balcony. Praise God. Who else? Just a few more seconds. Anyone else? Yeah, thank you. I see you up in the balcony on my right. Praise the Lord. Yeah, you can put your hand down. Praise God. Yeah, center section, I see you. Thank you, sir. Romans chapter 10, verse 9 says, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. So we're going to pray a prayer together. I'm going to give you the words to say, but this isn't my prayer. This is your prayer from your heart to God. So I want you to pray this and confess this to the Lord. And he's going to receive you today. So let's pray this together. Heavenly Father, thank you for sending Jesus, your only son, to pay the price for my sins on the cross. From now on, my life is surrendered to you. Use me for your glory. Help me never go back to my old ways or my old life. But from now on, I'm yours. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Come on. Come on. We have reason to celebrate today. God is good. If you prayed that prayer and you meant it, whether you raised your hand or not, Scripture says you're a new creation, that the old is gone and the new has come. And so we'd love to help you take the next step in your faith journey. So please do me a favor. If you responded today and said yes to the Lord, whether it was the first time or a rededication, we'd love to help you. So please, please, please take advantage of that. A couple things you can do. Number one, you could fill out the card in the seat back in front of you and take that card. Um, when we finish here in just a minute, back to our next step table. It's out in the lobby by the main doors. Somebody from our team's gonna be there and we would love to help you. We would love to answer questions. But m- most importantly, we're gonna point you in the right direction, help you understand what's next in your journey with Christ. So please take advantage of that. If you're watching online or here in the room and you'd prefer, you can simply text Summit PA to the number 94,000 and let us know about your decision that way. But even if you do that, I would love for you to stop by and talk to our team at the table and let us help you take the next step. Right now, we're gonna sing one more song together as we close out. And as we do, our prayer team's gonna be available on either side of this platform. And if you need prayer for any reason at all, no matter how big or small your need is, please take advantage of that. Step out from your seat as we're singing and let our team pray with you. Do not let fear or embarrassment or shame keep you from getting what God wants to give you today down here at the front of this room. So please, please, please come find one of our team. And even after we're dismissed in a moment, our team's gonna stick around. So if you want, after we're dismissed, come find one of them and let them pray for you. Why don't you stand to your feet? Let's worship together before we go. Guys, I love you so much. I'm so glad I get to pastor you. I hope you have an awesome day, an awesome week. And uh, I look forward to seeing you this next weekend for Christmas Eve. Please invite somebody to join you. I think it could change their lives. So let's sing together. Let's worship the Lord together. If you enjoy this content, please let us know by rating and reviewing the podcast. You can also contact us at summitpodcast.church. Remember to share this episode with your friends and on social media. Summit Podcasts can be found on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts, we're there. Thank you for listening to Summit Podcasts, and we will see you in the next episode.